Marini's Media. The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, UEFA's international COVID super spreader series continues. England have Foden scoring with Icelandic stunner again, but on the pitch this time, while Germany get beaten by Spain and Antiques Roadshow. We say not now though, international football, because the club game is back. The Premier League weekend featuring league leaders Leicester at Liverpool, the author derby at St James's, Bruce against Lamps, and a mentors mentor matchup as Mikel Arteta takes on Bielsa. All of that plus Wayne's World at Derby and we know someone who knows someone who may know what's what at Wrexham. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, hello there, listener. It's Thursday the 19th of October. Many thanks to Matt Davis-Adams for hosting over the past week. Uh, But uh, now, as the dust settles on all of that and club football returns, we are joined by Natalie Jedra of ESPN Brazil. Hi, Natalie. Hello. Hello. Uh, Duncan Alexander of Opta Joe is also with us. Hello, James. And we have a new face with us today, listener Tariq Panja. Tariq, would you like to introduce yourself to the rest of the class? Hi, James. I'm Tariq. How are you? I'm very well. Very well. He's of the New York Times listener, but you knew that. And uh, delighted you could be with us today, Tariq. Yeah, happy to be with you. Uh, followed the followed the programme and your tone since the uh, Football Italia days. Really? Excellent. In fact, in fact, <laughs> we met outside the San Siro oh, yeah. when George Way was there. It was 3-0 three, three against Napoli. Wow. Okay. And that, that was a that was a big day for me. So I'm 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 honoured to be with you today, James. You don't well, know what no, that, that, thank you very much. Um, I don't remember that game particularly. Did George perform well against Napoli? Not as well as the Napoli fans who were firing Billy fireworks out of the out of that curve mm. um, for a, for a for a novice Italian football visitor. That was a real baptism of literally a fire because it was coming towards our end. Oh, right. Yeah, well, they're a feisty lot, aren't they? Anyway, well, fascinating stuff. We'll touch on perhaps some of the more international uh, fixtures coming up a little bit later on. But uh, And of course, there's the return of the Premier League this weekend too. Before we get on to any of that, how about those internationals? England beating Iceland 4-0, full Foden with a brace. Wales beating Finland to get promoted to the top tier of Nations League football. Scotland missing out on the chance to do the same after they lost to Israel and Northern Ireland dropping down to Group C where they could be coming up against fellow third-tier new boys Faroe Islands and Gibraltar, both of whom remarkably got promoted out of Group D. Uh, England's performance. Natalie, were you all over this? <laughs> yes, no, I watched the match and I think that the most exciting thing about uh, England's performance uh, was to see um, Phil Foden and Jack Grealish playing together and I think that's the big uh, discussion now because I, I'm not sure if Southgate will have time to to make big changes and I'm, I'm not even sure if that's the case, that this should be always the formation but I think it should be an option that's more on the table, that's more often on the table for, for, for the England team because uh, I understand that he needed a solid formation uh, for for Russia for the World Cup but I think uh, England can be a bit more edgy at times and maybe playing Grealish and few folding is what they need uh, in some occasions uh, it, it does look much more exciting mm-hmm. and I know they are much more um, solid on defense but maybe it's the case to, to take some risks at times. I'm not sure if against the, the, the main uh, teams, the main national European teams, but definitely something to, to keep there as a reminder. What do you think, Duncan? Uh, a slightly more jazz approach in future? Yeah, I think if England are going to stick with three slash five at the bat, then you do need that additional uh, creative player up there. And it did make a difference, but it... It was Iceland at home in a dead rubber. I mean, say what you like about England, but they really know how to turn it on when there's nothing at stake. 
Um, they had 61 touches in the opposition box, which is the most ever recorded for an England team, and is a lot more than most teams have in most games. And it was it was one way traffic. Um, but yeah, I guess the fact that three players, 21 or younger, scored um, it's the first time that's happened for England since Krakatoa exploded, which is quite a long time ago. So yeah, I mean, we know that England have got a, a you know pantheon of, of good young attacking talent, and it's it's getting the best out of them and hopefully focusing on that rather than trying to be too defensive but we'll see mm. it's interesting we're talking about this foden Grealish axis today last week we were talking about foden and mason mount it's funny how the, the different kind of partnerships are in vogue or not in vogue with with, with with england and it kind of speaks to i guess does southgate know exactly what he's doing in terms of are we playing a, this kind of stodgy three-man screen, which we were doing in the last international round, and now we're playing this kind of expansive game um, with fewer of the quicker players but more of the technical players? It seems uh, still a work in progress. And I, I don't know what I think of that, given Southgate's been in the job so long. Um, it, it's interesting. Perhaps also speaks to the fact that Nations League doesn't really matter. I know UEFA have tried to make it into into a competition that, that that has some merit and the TV broadcast will be all over, but a tournament like this without supporters that exacerbates its kind of meaningless meaninglessness at the moment. Mm. You kind of test these things out. It feels like we're in friendly territory. I think Jamie Carragher called it a semi-competitive tournament, and I guess if you if you've paid uh, if you've paid top dollar for broadcasting rights or sponsorship rights, it's not something. That you, it doesn't sound very premium when the commentators describe it that way. I guess. Well, indeed not. Indeed not. the The finals of the uh, Nations League will be held, intriguingly, in October 2021, probably in Italy, who are one of the four nations who've made it through to that uh, final quartet. Uh, they're the only ones who apply to actually host it. So it does seem like it'd be them. Them, France, Belgium, who beat Denmark and Spain, will be present and contesting the semi-competitive Nations League, probably in Milan. That's my guess. Anyway, uh, Spain are there because of what happened on Tuesday night, which is probably the biggest story of this international break, or the last few days of it anyway. Uh, to hear a little bit more about that, what's this? Raphael Honigstein joins us. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Let's see, Tuesday afternoon, you took to Twitter to inform the world that you were looking forward to a Nations League game against Spain. Of course you were, after all, Germany somehow only needed one point to qualify for the finals. Spain needed all three. How did it turn out, Rafa? Because I was travelling, I missed it. <laughs> this is how it started and this is how, it, how it's going. Um, yeah, uh, it ended with Germany getting beaten 6-0. And, I'm not exaggerating, they were flattered by the scoreline. If Spain had been a little bit more clinical or energetic in the second half, it could have been double figures. They were so bad and they completely collapsed uh, in the latter stages of the game. Natalie, did you find it um, interesting, highly amusing to watch Germany losing a high-profile international by six goals? Yeah, I was going to say welcome to the club, Rafa, but uh, I think it's slightly different circumstances, so I'll give you that. But yeah, I actually read uh, Rafa's article on, on The Athletic about the, the match, and I'm just wondering, when did things started to change for Germany in terms of the relationship with Joachim Löw and, and the, the way that the players aren't responding to him? anymore is there like a timeline for that Rafa it started um, in the run-up to the 2018 World Cup where Löw made I think a lot of mistakes he mishandled the transition or the transition that never was perhaps more aptly because he basically told all the big names that they were going to play even when they weren't quite fully fit in the case of Manuel Neuer and I think that already had a very bad effect on the others because they basically thought oh we don't have a chance here because Löw is just sticking with the World Cup winners so 
even before anything had happened, there was already kind of a split in the camp, not necessarily in terms of the, you know, people fighting or, or being different factions, but some people were treated others uh, differently to others. And I think that was a bad start. Then Lurf had a terrible haughtiness about the whole thing, talking about the World Cup final, talking about, you know, saying to Royce, don't worry, Marco, you don't have to start against Mexico. We'll keep you for the bigger games. I mean, all the things you really shouldn't be telling your players. And I think there was enough goodwill and enough credit for him to be entrusted with basically reforming his own team and writing his own problems, which is very unusual when they stuck with him after the World Cup. But in those two years, he hasn't really done enough to convince people that he's on the right path. So these are really sort of fundamental questions. And yes, maybe you know a different result might have papered over those those cracks and those issues and maybe people say okay he's still got you know another year effectively or another eight months to get it right and Germany usually do so let's just wait but I think Spain kind of brutally exposed all the problems that had been just beneath the surface and in that way it might ultimately still be beneficial the question is now what happens next will the German FA pull the plug or will they sort of convince themselves that somehow things will be all right uh, come June? Mm. Ralph, I see you've got um, Ralph Rangnick uh, lined up to potentially take over Herr and Gusen. I'm not sure if that's correct pronunciation. Says, as a fellow German, I would like to get Honigstein's reaction to this historical debacle. Are the Euros more or less gone regarding the fact that this national team is coming together only once more before that tournament? Well, they have... They have March to still sort things out. Um, I mean, there's there's many questions in this question. First of all, Rangnick, yes or no? I mean, he's available now. He's probably not available after the Euros. So if Germany think, you know what, Löw, best case scenario, best case scenario is him having a decent Euros, but then he needs to go because we just cannot continue for another competition for 2022 in, in Qatar, then... They need to make those moves now, in my view. They need to tell Rangnick now, look, um, you're the next guy. Don't take another job. 1st of July or 10th of July or whatever, you're starting. I'm not sure the German FA are sort of clear-sighted and strategic enough to do that. I think they're more likely to say, let's just see if Löw can, can kind of reinvent himself one final time. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's stick with him as for as long as we can. I mean, that is very much so the tradition of the German FA. They don't, they don't tend to fire people in between tournaments. It's happened once with Bertie Fawkes, but that was um, that was the, the big exception in the last, I don't know, 40, 60, 50 years or so. So I think it's it's tricky. As far as the Euros is concerned, I think there, there is a chance it could be a big disaster simply because Germany play against France first, then Portugal. So by the time they have the most winnable games against Hungary, they might be already out of the competition. Okay, with that weird format, you know, one of the uh, two of the, the, the best third place teams go through and maybe you can, you can go through with one win. But I mean, I think the fear is that if they have a second catastrophe... And that would be, you know, an early exit that not just Löw, but the people above him will be blamed. And then you're looking at sort of wholesale changes at the German FA. And the question is, you know, will self-preservation instinct kick in before that? Or will they they hope for the best and just keep going? I, I think it's still still undecided. I think they'll take the next few weeks to make to make that decision. OK. Father Jack must have funk was of the opinion that love can't turn around, but you know maybe the German FA have more more faith in him. Uh, by the way, what about uh, the thing you were talking about in the the Euro show on, on Tuesday? The growing apathy towards the Mannschaft in Germany. Uh, you mentioned the German team had to appear on a special charity version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in the in the interest of kind of reminding the population they were still there. But since that, a friendly with the Czech Republic drew lower ratings than. Cash for Rarities, a show about selling antiques, Rafa. Uh, is the love affair broken? Well, I think there's two things being conflated here. One mm-hmm. is that there is definitely not the same excitement about this team than it was a few years ago. But that's understandable. I mean, they, they've had a terrible World Cup. 
the Nations League in, in 1819 wasn't a huge success. They, they got relegated if, if it hadn't been for UEFA replanning the groups. And this campaign, if you, if you will, September to November, um, hasn't exactly been a huge success either. But I think the disenchantment is less with the player and the actual team, more sort of with the idea of the national team and with the German FA where people just don't feel very emotional about them. But I think that can easily change. I think that it is on paper, even the, the team that played against Spain is on paper, pretty pretty good and pretty exciting team. And I think if if they were somehow to sort of refine a a playing identity that they're happy with, then things can change very, very quickly. If anything, now the expectations are so low that you know if they somehow, either with Lerv or without him, get things going again, I think we, we might actually see quite a big wave of euphoria because nobody really thinks this team will will do much at the Euros. So I think these things are quite quite fluid. But it is true that in you know in COVID times, um, really jumbled together teams, especially in the friendlies, no audience um, in the in the stands. Yes, um, five million or so who who tuned in is is not great by German standards, but then it was only the friendly. I think the uh, the Spain game got, again, double figures and millions, so it's it's all relative. It's not mm. quite as bad as nobody being interested at all anymore. Plus that cash for rarities show might be really, really good. Have you ever seen I've, that? I've watched some of it. It is actually mm. quite good. It's a bit like um, the antique... What's it called? The antique show? No, uh, not the antique road show. Uh, there's one, I think, in uh, morning television. Ah, where, Cash in the Attic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's actually the same format. All right, excellent. Very good, Rafa. Here's the better times for the Manshaft and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, James. Raphael Honigstein. Tariq, I feel you are moved to comment on Germany's predicament. I do, because it reminds me of something. Um, just before the 2010 World Cup, the English Football Association was so worried that Fabio Capello could win the World Cup and leave. They gave him a massive new contract just before that tournament. And we all know what happened in, in South Africa. England were terrible and the FA were kind of stuck with Capello because it would have cost a lot of money to, to, to get rid of him. In, in Germany's case, they obviously had this coach who won the World Cup, but they don't, not only had him, they've got um, Oliver Bierhoff, director of football, and they gave them both really long contracts until the Qatar World Cup and then Germany finished at the bottom of their group and the, I remember I was in, in in Munich for the first game after that tournament I think they played France and, and there was a massive press conference and a lot of pressure on the German Football Association and, and Lowe was there and you know he speaks clearly he's going to fix all of this stuff but there wasn't a lot of confidence obviously back then and if you see the way the results have gone that been 6-0 culminating in this 6-0 it's been horrific but it hasn't looked like they were getting back to the standards of, of previous years before that. I think some of this is to do with money um, because it would cost a hell of a lot to, to, to get rid of this guy. And it's also to do with dysfunction, I think, of the DFB, who've gone through a load of presidents and there's been a lot of scandal there. There hasn't been a lot of focus within within the federation there. So it's it's kind of a mess behind the scenes and on the pitch. And I think that culminates in what, what we saw um, the other night. What they really need to do is draw a new graph on, on their kit, as, as mentioned previously on the Totally Show. The classic 1990 Germany kit, hailed by many as one of the greatest football kits of all time. And actually, I'm looking at it right now on the back of Tarek's, well, on, the, on Tarek's wall. You've got it framed there, Tariq. It is, it is the kit of kits, as you've mm. just described it. So, uh, yeah. And also, who doesn't like a bit of nostalgia? We're all 13-year-old boys, aren't we? And girls. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> essentially. The theory anyway, and, and apologies if you've heard this one before, is that the the line on that shirt isn't a random bit of graphical flair. It's actually a depiction of Germany's performance or West Germany's performances at World Cups from 1974 and then the projection of what would happen in 1990. And, and if you actually map out what they do in World Cups and where the graph goes, it maps out absolutely perfectly. And the, the line going up to kind of reach the... The pinnacle again for 1990 was the, was the kit design's aspiration. Duncan, you're not having any of this. 
Well, it also matches the arc of the spit from Rudy Voller, so I think they obviously had a lot of futurology going into that design. <laughs> it was quite prescient. All right, anyway, let's move on then, because it is the Premier League returning this weekend with Match Day 9, and ooh, there are some very exciting fixtures. On this week's From the Horse's Mouth podcast, the lads are joined by Shane Lowry, fresh from his master's performance at Augusta. Here's what Shane's caddy was too scared to say to Tiger Woods after his disastrous 10 on the 12th. Because any time he hit a bad drive or an average drive, he'd say to Joe's caddy, that was like one of yours. And we stood on the 13th tee and Bo said to me, what do you think he'd say if I said to him, I bet you wish Joe had that one? (laughs) (laughs) Search Paddy Power on your podcast provider to listen now. Paddy Power. 18plusbeacomalawire.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Match day nine, everybody. Really intriguing managerial matchups. Ahoy here. On Saturday, we've got Newcastle against Chelsea kicking things off, Saturday at 12.30, which sees Bruce taking on Lampard, both authors, of course. Villa, Brighton. Spurs face Man City. That's Moo against Pep. Man United are still looking for their first home win in the league. They'll be taking on West Brom. Sunday, there's Fulham-Everton, which, Duncan, I know you want to talk about. Sheffield United-West Ham. Leeds-Arsenal. Arteta against his mentor's mentor. Uh, Liverpool-Leicester as well. Champions against the leaders. And Brendan Rodgers back at Anfield. Then on Monday, Burnley, the team that broke PPV, take on Crystal Palace. And Wolves host Southampton. Leicester are currently top, uh, one point ahead of Spurs and Liverpool, with Saints in fourth place themselves, only two points off the apex of the Premier League. Natalie, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? Well, James, Liverpool-Leicester, definitely, because uh, I think we have to remember that uh, last time the two teams met on the Premier League was on that Boxing Day. Everybody was very much looking forward to that match. Uh, Leicester was doing so well. Liverpool just won the, the, the club's World Cup. And then Liverpool beat Leicester 4 new. And it all went downhill for them after that. And and Rogers, uh, Brendan Rodgers has been saying how much they learned from last season. And I think this is a great opportunity for them to show this once more because they have been showing this uh, in the past matches. It's not only about whether they win it or not, but I think the approach will tell uh, something about how this Leicester team has really matured. So I'm very interested in in this match. Leicester is proving to be a very solid uh, team in defense, despite not having Soyuncu, which was uh, their main defensive player last season. Season. And, and Liverpool has also been showing alternatives this season, even though they, they have been suffering with injuries and COVID as all the teams, but Liverpool especially, I think. But I think they will have to be very creative to break Leicester, who's been very solid defensively, James. Mm. And very dangerous at the other end, uh, thanks to the efforts of Jamie Vardy. Him up against the reserve back line of three lads in a training cone is one of the big talking points uh, ahead of this game. Uh, Duncan, your thoughts on Vardy? Yeah, I think I've mentioned before that Vardy's almost the ultimate big game player in the sense that um, you know he's got a much better conversion rate when he plays big six teams than he does against the rest of the league. So he really does step up in these matches. Um, and I mean, the only thing I would say this season is obviously most of his goals have come from penalties. You know, Leicester have had eight penalties already, which is more than most teams get in, in whole seasons. Um, but like you say, Liverpool's defence is is the big question mark. Um, Leicester's approach this season has actually been subtly different, I think. They, they led our new favourite metric, PPDA, passes per defensive action, uh, last season, which basically means they were trying to press more or harder than, than any other team. They're, they're sort of lower mid-table this season, so that 
you, you do wonder whether Brendan Rodgers realised that um, in a kind of mini Bielsa sort of way, his team kind of got knackered by sort of January last year and, and faded away. Um, and whether he's sort of playing the longer game uh, this season. And obviously also we know that this is for him a massive game because it's where he used to jog and smell the mints cooking as he uh, as he ran around the streets of Liverpool. So you do wonder whether, you know, in lockdown, whether more mints is being cooked or, or less. I don't know. It's hard to put a number on that. Just on, on, on what Klopp does is going to be interesting. There was that uh, contretemps with uh, Roy Keane a few weeks ago when Keane described Liverpool as sloppy and, and, and Klopp took umbrage to it. But then went on to say that the way he sets his team up, they expect to give a couple of chances away again. And that was when they had that back four with Van Dijk and Gomez, the first choice back four. He says, that's the way we play and that's the way we're always going to play. Now, I couldn't imagine a worse opponent for Liverpool than Leicester with Jamie Vardy and Madison looks fit again and, and, and Harvey Barnes just counter-attacking um, and trying to get behind that back four that plays on the halfway line. I wonder if he's going to tweak his tactics or or whether he's going to, you know, what, Liverpool are the Premier League champions. Why should we change anything? This is what served us to win the Premier League. But, you know, you're talking about Matip, and Fabinho with his dodgy hamstring perhaps coming back. Last thing you want to do is chase Jamie Vardy for 90 minutes. So that, that's going to be interesting. And no, Mo Salah, who's uh, returned another positive test for COVID with the Egyptian side. So changes are, are going to be necessary uh, in any case. As you mentioned, Natalie, this is where Leicester's season, I wouldn't say completely fell apart, but changed dramatically last time around, or at least the clash with with Liverpool. They were second and looking good for a, a Champions League place, uh, but ended up uh, fifth after a run of defeats that started with, with Man City and then this, this Liverpool one last season. They haven't won at Anfield in over 20 years. Hands up, who thinks this Leicester are different and this Leicester are going to get the job done? Does a draw count? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Why not? Yeah, I think they can get a draw. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how Leicester will play because against City and Arsenal, they prioritise defending. They didn't have the ball so much. I think that will probably be the case. So maybe with this approach, they, they can get a draw. Can I equivocate and say this could be the day that they, that they do it because of this really strange season we've had. This squad which is missing half its players. People are knackered, coming back with COVID from God knows what parts of the world. It's kind of the perfect weekend for, for, for an upset, which might not be an upset given Leicester are, are playing really well at the top of the league and Liverpool's squad is decimated. So if it's going to happen, it could really happen this weekend. And one of those kind of historical quirks that ultimately doesn't mean anything, but Liverpool can beat their all-time unbeaten home league run if they don't lose this game, um, overtaking the previous one, which was set between 1978 and 1980. And the team that finally ended that was Leicester. So... Q Twilight Zone music. Wow. Producer Charlie was actually going to queue up Oxide and Neutrinos bound for their reload. The reason for that was that came out uh, May 2000, which was the last time that uh, Leicester won at Anfield. So, again, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Uh, Tarek, what are you looking forward to most from this weekend? Um, Mourinho. Okay. That game against um, City. It's not. It's not for that toxic relationship from years ago. That that seems to have passed. It's this to me. I think my colleague Rory Smith, who's been on your show, he, I think he wrote about it the other day. This feels like the perfect Mourinho season in the sense it's it's compacted. Um, it's about results. It's just grinding through a season, collecting points. Um, not having fans in that enormous stadium might even help. There's, there's just, just about getting through it almost attritionally. Um, and he knows how to collect these points. Um, the only problem with that is that he's managing Tottenham and Tottenham always have a way of screwing things up. So um, I think this, this, this weekend might be a good indication of where, where Tottenham are going or the next couple of games Tottenham have to see you know, where, where they're going to last the distance or, or, or do a Spurs Mm. They're currently second, Tottenham, while City are in 10th place, five points behind. Would a Man City win be an upset here, do you think? I think there, there, there are a lot of questions around City this season, but I think City fans might be feeling more confident in a way that they can have 
uh, in a while in terms of their defense facing such a powerful attack because they, they have been looking much better defending. And and with Laporte and Eric Garcia in a good form, João Cancelo is being one of the, the main players this season. That's a big surprise for me, honestly. And uh, I think uh, Spurs may be in a good form and everything, but it's, it is difficult to break City. It's more difficult to break City. And Fernandinho might be back. He, he, he's, he went back to training already. He posted a lot of pictures and he's very much looking forward to, to coming back. And of course, they can benefit from the, the confidence of Ferran Torres. He scored a, his first hat-trick mm. for the national team. And he's been looking very exciting. He's a very talented player. So maybe they can benefit from this great moment and the confidence. He's very young, 20 years old. So this uh should have an impact on him and maybe on this match as well. Mm, yeah, one of those goals against Germany, that was a screamer, was it? It's a yeah. half volley. I think uh, Gabriel Jesus is also in, in form. Spurs, meanwhile, will be without Matt Doherty, who has himself tested positive for COVID 19, which led to Mourinho posting a picture of himself in the gym with the message great emotions in the national team matches, superb friendlies, and total safety. <laughs> COVID test results after matches being played, randomers running on the pitch while team sessions are taking place, and much more. After another training session with only six players, it is now time to take care of myself. Uh, this is all part of his kind of enigmatic Instagram mm. series that he's... I, I'm enjoying his new direction, and, and uh, I hope you are too. It's reflected by a more creative uh, outlook from his team as well on the pitch so far, but you know, this classically would be the kind of game that he would lock it down for. This season, will that happen? Um, possibly. I mean, I think obviously the, the unsung hero at Spurs this season has been Hoiberg, who obviously played under Pep at Bayern and, and was very, uh, you know, was sort of Guardiola tipped him and sort of groomed him for to be that sort of, you know, ball winning progressive midfielder. Um, and, you know, he started 11 sequences this season that have ended in, in shots. I think he's been a real kind of, uh, yeah, unsung hero for Spurs. But just flipping back to cities, I think. I think Pep's actually changed their approach this season. I think you know their their xG this season is one point three a game, which is the lowest um, in the last decade for the club. Now that's possibly down to a few factors with injuries and stuff, but they are looking better at the back. Um, if you take away all the penalties they've conceded, um, they're actually you know one of the best defenses in the Premier League. And I think after last season where they lost nine league games, but then still could beat Watford eight 0 I think. They've gone, this is too inconsistent and um, we need to actually be a bit more tighter at the back and a bit more consistent. So I think City have actually got quite a lot of room for, for improvement. So I think we could be in store for a very unusual game in, in the sense that we've got attacking Jose Mourinho trying to take on defensive Pep Guardiola. So uh, enjoy it. Can, can you do that though, Duncan? Can you say defensively if you take out all the penalties they've conceded? Is that not a little bit, apart from that, how did you enjoy the I performance, mean, Mrs Lincoln? <laughs> a little bit, but the point is that, you know, giving away a penalty is just a, is a mistake. Um, yeah. So if you take that away, that probably gives a slightly fairer uh, judgment of how a defence is performing. But yeah, I take your point, yeah. City have scored exactly once in each of their last five Premier League matches. Speaking of international disruption, by the way, were you across what happened to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and his uh, Gabon teammates ahead of their Africa Cup of Nation qualifiers, Tariq? Yeah, I wonder if the Gambia FA had anything to do with it. It's a great tactic to keep your opponent sort of sleeping in an airport lounge for 12 hours uh, and trapping them there. Um, in, in the world of smartphones, we get to we get to sort of live that with them. And he wasn't a happy, happy man, neither were his teammates um, at Banjul Airport. Yeah, they had their passports withdrawn basically, and then just kept them there overnight in in the in the lounge until they were yeah until they were sort of cleared to go. And you know, um, I'm sure you're really up for playing an international football match straight after uh, an experience like that. Well, anyway, uh, he has now returned from Africa and will be one imagines part of the Arsenal lineup. But in which position as they travel to Ellen Road to take on Leeds this weekend? Duncan, is this again that you're particularly fired up for? Uh, I think it'll be interesting in the sense that Leeds have a lot of shots and Arsenal have a couple of months. So, uh, I mean, Patrick Bamford's had two more shots in his own this season in the Premier League than Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian and Eddie Nketiah combined. You do wonder actually whether Nketiah might finally get a run or chance ahead of Lacazette, particularly given that old football thing of, you know, he went to Leeds on loan and didn't really get a chance. So, um, you know, the vengeance... uh, 
angle might help. The Gunners haven't scored a goal from open play all month. Four matches now in the Premier League without one, Duncan. Yeah, 56% of Arsenal's Premier League goals this season came in the first eight days of the season, which for those eight days was an absolute carnival of fun, but less so since. Yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't scored or you're struggling to score, Leeds probably the opponent you want to face because they're going to give you a load of chances a game and you might tuck away one of them no matter how badly you're doing at that end of the pitch. Um, they press really high. It's the um, it's the method of of, of Bielsa. Um, so yeah, good for Arsenal. If they well, if they don't score at the weekend, they've got real problems. Indeed, sounds like a really entertaining game. This with the Bielsa Arteta clash, but also just the whole notion of Leeds and, and Arsenal. Yes, I'm not sure how much Arteta learned from Bielsa by. Guardiola, if, if that math makes any sense. Uh, but he, actually, last week, Arteta gave an interview for international broadcasters talking about Arsenal's progress under him. And he, he sounds always very uh, reasonable, I might say, because he, he, he always says that it's a long way to go and that uh, Arsenal has been improving and people cannot forget all the changes that's been happening, uh, not only on the pitch, but uh, also in the structure in Arsenal structure internally. So I think we can, yeah, we, we can expect some improvement in terms of producing more chances because Arteta has this, this idea uh, of playing more offensively. And I've heard a comment about um, Arsenal's Arteta. I'm not sure uh, if I, if I uh, completely agree with that, but uh, that maybe uh, the way that Arteta is shaping doesn't help with the individualities. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that we always hear about Pep's teams. Uh, I'm not sure if this is uh, very fair, but I, I, maybe it's something to, to keep an eye on because people w were bringing it up because of Aubameyang especially. So, right. yeah, let's see. Yeah, he's withdrawn his passport and stuck him out on the left wing. And uh, <laughs> it's all very miserable. And uh, Pep is not very happy either. Oh, I'm sure a win or two would, would cheer everybody up. Anyway, it should be fun, that one. Loads more games coming up, all of which got intriguing plot lines to them uh, from the Premier League this weekend. But next up, let's have a quick break and consider Wrexham. Hello again, listener. It's dark outside and the clocks have gone back, but looking at my watch, it's free beer o'clock, thanks to our friends at Beer52. And if you want to get in on that free beer action, all you have to do is go to beer52.com slash football and they'll deliver an exclusive case of award-winning craft beers worth £24 right to your door. All you need to do is cover the cost of postage, which is a mere five ninety-five. You all know the score with Beer 52 by now. They scour the globe looking for the best small batch breweries and this month they've put together the beers that their members rated highest over the last year. This best of the best case includes the <coughs> Edel Spezialbier Dortmunder Lager from Germany, a Croatian Kvayak Session IPA and Vocations Hazy Pale Ale all the way from Yorkshire. You can choose a light, dark or mixed case and the best thing with Beer 52 is that there's absolutely no minimum commitment. If you want, you can just take this free case, try the beers and if you decide it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com football and get your free case of eight craft beers today. That's the word beer and the number 52.com football. One last time and all together now, beer52.com football. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. So to the Wrexham Supporters Trust, thank you for your faith and trust in us. We are humbled and we're already getting to work. <laughs> oh, this is really happening. The charming announcement video there from Hollywood actors Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, uh, that they are taking over National League Club Wrexham out of Wales, or Walian National League Club Wrexham, as, as Ryan Reynolds puts it. Uh, a kind of interesting, light-hearted culture clash video that I believe, Tariq, presages a series or documentary film uh, in a similar vein, yes? Yeah, they're giving little away about why they want to own this 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 football club of all the, of all the teams in all the world. Why do you want to own ours? And, and there's been 
Mr. McElhenney said, well, you know, my family has coal mining roots and, and Wrexham is in Wales and I believe they did some coal mining there. So there's that. Mm. But it, it does seem there is going to be a um, just a, the nature of these two guys, uh, uh, like a, a media play here. And maybe it will be um, a, a fun, a fun story to, to follow. Um, and it, it's not much of a bet, really, because they, they, they got it for buttons i think literally buttons and then um uh, uh promised to invest um about two two million pounds into into this so it, it could be a fun journey it's quite a nice story given the seven months we've we've lived you know in football and outside of football it's all been kind of doom and gloom covid injuries and god knows what else mm. it's kind of a, a fun story and they've they've kind of as you as you've said these light-hearted memes and, and social media videos and they've got the fans behind them um it, it might be a fun fun story to follow um and it's it's just outside of the box something that we don't normally talk about let's see let's see where this this goes but a word of warning no matter how how small the club is you don't want to piss off the fan base so let's hope they don't really get it wrong well they seem to be quite aware of that lots of uh, um, respect and, and thanks in their videos so far in their public statements uh, to the Wrexham supporters trust they are Wrexham the third oldest professional club in the world and the race course ground is the oldest international football stadium I think still in use is that right Duncan you'll be able to confirm that getting nods there so there's there's all the romantic backdrop to this of the journey that they'll no doubt go on although but one of my questions was what will this actually mean Terry you know I believe that one of the guys involved in actually brokering this because the, 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 the two actors went to an agency who kind of found them a club and that's how this happened. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. There's a boutique um, sports investment firm based in New York that, that has done kind of investments large and small. They, they, um, they did both Liverpool takeovers, one that went awfully wrong and one that has gone awfully right. The, the current one with them. Um, the guys from Boston, um, they, they've done other deals. And they've also done these smaller ones where Americans who who want to invest in, in British soccer for the kind of the, to kind of be um, participants and enjoy their um, um, investments rather than look to, you know, become kings of Europe or anything like that. So we're talking about Wickham Wanderers, for example, we've got American owners, um, Portsmouth too, um, the Eisner family, there so yeah it's 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 this group that kind of um uh, links us um businessmen and rich people with 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 an interest in in, in football in europe particularly in britain duncan how's it working out at wickham yeah i mean good i mean we're in the highest uh, league we've ever been in so i mean statistically it means it's fine wrexham can expect to be back in at least league one in a couple of years right maybe maybe hugh jackman will buy chester and then we'll get a really interesting bit of rivalry going on there. Uh, it is, of course, really great news, as you say, Tariq, against the backdrop of very much doom and gloom. Next up, back to the Premier League. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Hey, match day nine of the season begins with Newcastle against Chelsea. That's 12.30 on Saturday. We mentioned the fact that both managers are published authors. Uh, Bruce is mystery writer of Striker and Sweeper. I can't remember what the other one was called. Defender, the other one. Don't Defender, say. right. Lampard, Frank Lampard, author, fingers doing wavy things in the air, of children's series Frankie's Magic Football. Uh, Lampard winning this series 9-3 because there are nine of those magic football books. It could be a similar scoreline here, perhaps at St James's, and could Frank Lampard soon be adding a new title for Chelsea? Because they're just outside the top four and potentially in the title race and that. What do you, what do you think of the chances of a big scoreline, Natalie? Uh, well, Chelsea just came from a very brilliant performance against Sheffield United. I know they haven't been 
at their best in this season. Uh, Sheffield United, I mean, but Chelsea. Uh, I, I spoke to Frank Lampard after the match, and, and he said that it was the best Chelsea performance so far. Ziyech was just brilliant. He was very impressive with the, his accuracy and his passing. Uh, they don't have Havertz and Pulisic again, but they, they seem to have coped well without both of these players because they didn't play uh, against Sheffield United. And I want to let uh, Chelsea fans know that uh, Thiago Silva did play both matches for the Brazilian national team whole 90 minutes okay against Venezuela and Uruguay he was the captain actually on, on both occasions so I'm not sure how uh, Frank Lampard will will manage this because let's not forget Thiago Silva is very fit but he's 36 and uh, I think uh, th there's the long traveling and everything so mm. just to let Chelsea fans know Chelsea the top scorers in the Premier League Newcastle aren't Sheffield United who Natalie you mentioned were beaten by Chelsea last time out, are taking on West Ham. Uh, Sheffield United currently on one point from eight games, which ranks as the joint worst start ever in Premier League history. Only two teams in Premier League history indeed have avoided relegation after a start this bad. Saints in 98-99 and Sunderland in 13-14. Duncan? Both of whom, of course, wear red and white stripes, so things ah. are probably OK for Sheffield United. But... If you think 2020 has been strange, imagine going back to January and saying that by November, David Moyes would be a much more secure and kind of comfortable manager than Chris Wilder. It really has kind of turned around. And obviously this week there's been a lot of talk about whether Christmas is, is going to happen or should we celebrate Christmas next year in the summer. But long-standing Premier League fans might remember that in the first couple of seasons, um, Sheffield United... In fact, I think it was before the Premier League started, actually, one of the seasons before. Um, Sheffield United's traditional bad start in the Premier League uh, meant that they ended up one season celebrating Christmas in August, having a club Christmas party, which then spurred them into good form. So whether that's worth trying ahead of this game, particularly as it's against arch-rivals Carlos Tevez's West Ham as well. So. Of course, of course. Just, just to wind you back a little bit there, what, why did they have their Christmas party in August? So... Back in the early 90s, Sheffield United had a season where they were terrible up until Christmas, went on a really good run and just about survived. And then hilariously, at the start of the following season, everyone said, well, if we celebrate Christmas early, why don't, you know, we might just start the season well. So they had their, their Christmas party in the summer with, you know, Brian Dean in a Father Christmas outfit and everything. Um, and then, yeah, it all went slightly better. So. Well, there you go. That's interesting. Chris Wilder last year was uh, up for manager of the year with his kind of innovative tactics, overlapping centre-halves and all this. Um, but they they were also really tight in the back last season. A lot of fantasy football points for, for those who play that game. There was uh, John Lundstrom as well as, as an attacker. They've got injuries at the back. McConnell, Lynchpin last year, he's out. Uh, Lundstrom's fallen out with the club. He's sat on the bench. Um, and they couldn't score that many goals last year, and they still can't, but they're conceding as well. So it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a really long long road ahead, especially with this, again, this weird season, this curtailed season with these games coming thick and fast. I, I can't see them scoring, and they're conceding as well. So they might join your, your ranks of, of, of clubs that have, um, unfortunately, um, got relegated after such an awful start um, to the season, which, which would be a real surprise given how well they did last year. The good news is uh, their last three matches were against Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea. Ah. And uh, not that West Ham is like easy opponent because they have had very good performances against teams from the big six. But maybe Sheffield United can show a bit more uh, against uh, West Ham because they absolutely need to. Their next matches now are against West Ham, West Brom, Southampton, and then they face Man United. So let's see. Let's see. OK, Aston Villa, meanwhile, on Saturday, taking on Brighton on what will be Aston Villa's 146th birthday. That'd be nice. Uh, by the way, what was number one the last time Brighton won at Villa Park? Anybody? Any thoughts, Duncan, Tarek? Nothing, because it's never happened. <laughs> Aren't it you a smart trick. one? Yeah. It was a trick. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, is it going to happen this time? Well, it should do, because Brighton... I've said this a few times recently, they're possibly the unluckiest team in, in world football. Um, they've got a really good defence on the underlying numbers. Um, they Only three teams have had more shots than them, but they're always in 16th. 
and you look at the league table and the one thing you can be sure of in an ever-changing world is Brighton are going to be 16th or 17th maybe and um, yeah Villa are not are not perfect but if they play as well as they did against Arsenal last time out then you do you do worry I mean one thing to look out for in this game is Jack Grealish should clock up his 200th the 200th time he's been fouled since the start of last season I hope some sort of klaxon goes off and maybe some you know some fireworks but uh, yeah He'll take off his socks to reveal shin pads with 200 written on them or something like that. Yeah. 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 Maybe two on one side and zero, zero on the other. Then he can reuse them in a couple of months' time as well, one of them. Brighton is definitely the team this season that I feel for the most because they, I don't know what happens there. They have a plan. They have a clear idea of what they need to do and they get results like new-new uh, against Burnley the last match and, and they, they didn't manage to, to beat West Brom, which should be uh, a, a match that, that they should have one uh they they got, got a draw with crystal palace so it's always hard to to understand what what what's really happening uh with brighton i really feel for them because I, I like watching them them play but it just it, it's not taking them really too far in the in the table mm. why do you like watching brighton that because i think they have uh, an exciting um idea of what they they should do uh and w against the the big teams as well uh everybody i think the the, the brighton man united match was one of the most exciting matches in this season and they they really go for it and but they they they, they don't get results so it must be very frustrating for for brighton fans honestly Mm, I imagine. All right, well, we'll see what happens. As, as we say, never never had a victory away at Villa, Villa Park. Could it happen this Saturday, 3 o'clock? Later on that day, Man United are going to be taking on West Brom. United have never had a home win at Old Trafford in the Premier League this season. Uh, could it be that West Brom provide the ideal opportunity to change that? Maybe not, because what's this? In the last five meetings between these two clubs at Old Trafford... The Baggies have won three times and United only once. Crikey. Do you remember the last one, James? It was uh, two seasons ago. United lost to relegated West Brom. And, mm. and then City won the league, uh, even though they weren't playing. That was a big surprise. Fantastic. Right. It just goes to show anything can happen. Uh, maybe even United getting a home win. What do you think? Duncan, Tarek? With United, God knows what you're going to get. Um, we were talking about Brighton earlier, and uh, there's a system. You know what what they're going to play. I think um, with with Solskjaer, after all these years, there isn't a discernible style of play. They've got a collection of um, very good footballers, and I, I don't know when we're going to see a Manchester United style emerge. And it's very hard to predict what they're going to do week to week as a result of this. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll they'll batter them five nil, and then you know Solskjaer's up again, or or maybe they'll they'll be they'll be reversed, and you know, using the uh, the, the 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 trend you've just mentioned, Brighton come away with a with a victory that look looks on paper very 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 unlikely, but they're playing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United, so possible. There's only two teams in the 92 this season who are letting in 2.5 goals a home game. Um, Scunthorpe, who were third bottom of League Two, and Manchester United. So there are goals there for West Brom, possibly, if, if they look for them. So we'll see. All right. Well, Baggies, for their part, have yet to have a single victory home or away in the Premier League this season. So, yeah. A convergence of two interesting runs there Saturday. Eight o'clock, that one. Uh, Sunday at midday, Duncan, a fixture I mentioned earlier that you are keen to tell us about is Fulham against Everton. Why? Just because it's the, the game with the highest proportion of home wins, or the fixture with the highest proportion of home wins in Premier League history. So Everton always beat Fulham at Goodison. And historically, Fulham have nearly always beaten Everton at, at Craven Cottage. Now, this is one of those weird quirks that's just that just happens, but this will be obviously the first time in a crowdless world. You wonder whether this strongest of, of trends can survive the uh, the machinations of, of 2020. And will it survive the return of Richardson for Everton, whose absence invariably sees the Toffees not winning any fixtures they play without him? But he should be there for this one and in great form as well, Natalie. Yes, because he scored against Uruguay. Uh, Brazil beat Uruguay 2-0. Uh, Arthur and Richarlison uh, scored. And 
actually it was very interesting because uh, Richarlison, uh, many people don't know that because he 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 tweets in in Portuguese, of course, but he is very engaged with uh, social matters. Uh, in Brazil, and then uh, he scored against Uruguay, and he dedicated the, his goal to Amapá, which is a poor state who has been uh, without electricity for over two weeks after a fire. And and Richardson dedicated his goal and called up the authorities to act quicker in Amapá. I'm not sure if uh, people here in England they they have this image of Richardson being so engaged, and it's not the first time that he he goes public uh, to to talk about. Uh, social matters like this, but it had a had a huge repercussion in Brazil, hmm. and so he is in good form, and he is um, very beloved in Brazil because of that as well. Just on the subject of Richardson's return, Everton really have been struggling without him. Does does him coming back see them return to something of what they showed us in the opening weeks when they were winning every single game in all competitions, or have the problems that have crept in in the last month or so? gone a bit deeper than just not him being there? Well, I think it, it goes a bit deeper. It's not only about Richarlison, but his return will be very welcome because I, I think we, we all realized how much not only Everton misses Richarlison, but especially Calvert-Lewin's game has been affected by it. He clearly uh, misses the way that uh, Richarlison moves, open up spaces. Uh, they, they really got used to playing together. So I think Richarlison returning... Uh, might really benefit Calvert-Lewin. Of course, Everton, because they, they have been uh, without a win in four matches, uh, one draw against Liverpool and then three losses. But uh, yeah, I think this is definitely uh, going to be uh, a good news for, for the Everton fans. And I, I hope that uh, James Rodriguez is, is feeling uh, better after Colombia Oh, yeah. uh, got beat by Ecuador 6-1 that uh, you know I love the the South American qualifiers because you, you things like that happen everybody who will watch Ecuador and Colombia they will expect a uh, easy cuz you cuz you don't get win. anyone getting beaten by six goals in in European <laughs> oh, oh we're getting territorial okay so Rodriguez's performance in the in the game against uh, Ecuador, how was it? Was he particularly at fault or, or, or what? Because presumably there are huge repercussions flying around in Colombia after that result. No, actually he scored the only goal okay. uh, from Colombia. But there is always huge um, expectations around Rodriguez because yeah, and Suarez as well, but... Uh, Suarez, uh, he only played second half because he didn't play the, the first matches for, for COVID. And, uh, but yeah, no, it wasn't his fault. It, it's hard to, to, to figure out really what's happening with Colombia, especially on this match. How far are they off qualifying in the always tight South American <laughs> qualifying race? They are, they are a bit far, not so far. Well, they are seventh, two points from the qualification zone. Okay, so, so that's not too yeah. bad. No, no, it's not. It's it's still early. It's just four matches. So okay, who's top of the division? Uh, who is top of the division, James? Brazil. Brazil. Yes, the only team who's a hundred percent for four matches for wins. Brilliant. Got a question about Brazil, which I'm going to ask you very, very shortly. But having wrapped up the weekend's Premier League games, a quick nod to the fact that Wolves will take on high-flying Southampton on Monday, and Burnley will be up against Crystal Palace. And we will uh, be touching on those games in our early Monday morning show. Let's now, though, get some odds and probably much more from our friend Lee Price. Hello, listeners. Now, quick warning to anyone who identifies as a gammon. We've chosen to play out the version of this segment that is without any offensive or discriminatory language because it's 2020, lads. And, I should add, I hope that none of my segments have that kind of thing. But do let a Totally Football Show know. They handle my mail. Speaking loosely of festive number ones, and Tottenham versus Man City contains a contender, albeit not the one we'd normally expect. City are down in 10th, so you can see why Pep signed on for two more years, and it's Tottenham who are a point off the top of the table. So of course, the number Wizards in Power Tower make City the odds-on favourites to win at the Tottenham Hotspur rocket ship. Actual league leaders Leicester travel to Liverpool at surely the most opportune time, as Jurgen Klopp has only six players, a data analyst, and a half-and-half scarf to pick between for his lineup. And yet, you know what I'm going to say next. We make Liverpool odds on to win this game, with Leicester a pretty lengthy 13-5, to 5, which sounds like a, a weird fraction, I know, but basically, bet a fiver and you'll win £13 plus your stake back if Leicester take the points. 
And finally, Arsenal are favourites to beat Leeds, but only just. The Gunners are 11-10 to 10 to win, Leeds are 21-10 to 10 to march to victory. Got to say, I'm really looking forward to this weekend's games. I hope you enjoy them. All the best. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Yes, Natalie, not Fernando Nelson, says, please ask Natalie Jedra about Douglas Luiz. How have his performances for Brazil been since he's been starting regularly? And what are the chances of Man City activating the buyback clause in his contract? Uh, yes, he's been doing really well. Uh, and there is a chance. Uh, if I were a, a Villa fan, I'd be worried about it because his development uh, on on Villa has been striking. I think the first time Douglas Luiz was called up for the national team, everybody was kind of surprised because he just arrived at Aston Villa. He wasn't doing so well. But now, uh, the, this last time was like, yeah, of course, Douglas Luiz is going to be on the national team. So, so, yeah, if I were an Aston Villa fan, I'd be worried because he's been developing really quick and Titi, uh, the manager, really likes him, really likes his style. Excellent. That 2-0 win, by the way, over Uruguay Tuesday night also saw Edinson Cavani sent off for the hosts after a challenge on Richarlison. In other international South American news this week, Javier Mascarano announced his retirement. Michael Cox has done an entire podcast of his own marking series about the uh, midfielder, sometime defender. Uh, Duncan, you managed a tweet about a taxi. Well, I tweeted my memory of favourite Premier League memory of Mascherano, which was when he was sent off at Old Trafford just for asking Steve Bennett, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. It's quite an existential red card in, in many senses. But then someone replied with a, a photo I'd forgotten, but here's one of the great photos of uh, someone, presumably in Barcelona, asking uh, Lionel Messi to take a photo of him and Javier Mascherano. It's, uh, you know... You want a selfie of Mascherano, Messi, can you take this picture? Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. That Old Trafford sending off, was that the one where it looked like he was going to go, um, well, full Di Canio, I, I would say. Di Canio, yeah. But, yeah. He was dragged off in the right. end. Um, but it was in the midst of a, one of the periodical Premier League crackdowns on, you know, respecting the ref and all that sort of stuff. So it was right. badly timed. But as he, as he made the point, he didn't actually, you know, you can ask a referee what's happening, but Steve Bennett wasn't having it. Right. It was a bold call on Twitter to say, what is your favourite Mascherano moment? Because I'm not sure I have many that leap to mind. He's not the first player that you think of as uh, Tariq. I have one. It was one of the quotes of the World Cup in Brazil. Argentina played in the semi-final um, against the Netherlands. And Iron Robin was a, a millimetre away from putting the ball away. I think it was in extra time. And out of nowhere this figure of Mascherano just emerges from across the pitch and, and sort of clears the ball away. And afterwards, you know, they're talking about this tackle. And um, he said, and he did, he got injured. He said, yes, I, 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 I tore my anus um, clearing that ball. And Argentinian fans all over the world sort of remember this and rejoice at this man who was willing to, to give uh, more than blood, sweat and tears a little bit to, to get the team to the final that day. That's that's interesting. I believe it was his perineum that he tore, the area between, you know, one and the, uh, and the other. Uh, crikey, keeping it tight at the back and in the same <laughs> in the same motion, doing quite the opposite to himself. That is a great memory. Thank you for that, Terry. Also, at the moment, uh, from the Totally Studios, there's Totally Football League show in which they discuss the departure of Philippe Cocu from the bottom team in the Championship. Uh, the big question as we head into this weekend in the Championship is, A, will they get to play at Bristol City, Derby? Because uh, the uh, I believe they've been massively hit by COVID. And also, if they do, who's going to be in charge? As it stands, Wayne Rooney, I believe, is a kind of caretaker, player, manager. Uh, all sorts of other people mentioned as potential permanent replacements for Koku, including Rafa Benitez, Steve Cooper and Eddie Howe. But... As it stands, there seems to be a notion that it's actually Wayne Rooney's job to lose. Concept of player managers, I find a very strange one, just especially in this day and age. Natalie, is that something that happens a lot in Brazil? No, definitely not. Mm. No, uh, this this concept of uh, player manager. I think it's more European. I don't remember any examples in Brazil, to be honest. I, th I think it's an, it's a British thing. It's not really much on the continent. 
I mean, also the concept of Wayne Rooney manager, which, you know, that's entirely due to my own kind of notions of him without having spent any kind of time with him. But Wayne Rooney player manager is, is another step entirely. Duncan, Tarek? Yeah, uh, just think, um, again, uh, nostalgia comes to mind. we got Kenny Dalglish back in the day, but in, mm. in the modern game, you're right. I mean, it's very hard to see this this working in, in recent times. We've had uh, Vincent Company moving to, to Anderlecht and it going wrong very, very quickly um, in, in quite a massive way. And I think he, he gave up the, the player-manager role uh, in order in order to focus on the management. And then when he wanted to remain a player, he almost, I believe he gave up the management part during the games to his assistant. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't see I don't see Rooney player manager being something that that, that Derby are going to kind of enjoy long term. Rooney manager, uh, interesting, different story. We, 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 let's wonder how how that turns out. Um, he's got a football brain, I guess. Uh, maybe maybe he's a uh, maybe he's going to be a, a surprise us and be a, a excellent coach. Uh, jury's out at the moment, I guess. The player manager era was very much the kind of mid eighties to sort of mid nineties. You had obviously Dalglish, uh, Sunes, Peter Reid, Rude Hullet, uh, Glenn Hoddle. So it was, a, I'm not sure. It was almost like a kind of era when clubs uh, managed to sign or had players towards the end of their careers, and they, the, the game was less frantic then. They could still do both jobs. I think it's it's almost impossible now with the amount of planning and research and preparation that that clubs have to do. But Maybe he'll just sit them down and make him watch old episodes of Wayne Rooney's Street Soccer from Sky One. That could be a good training tactic. Right. Interesting. OK, currently bottom, as we say, of the Championship. They've only won one of their 11 league games and have only picked up six points. The only way is up for the Rams. That wraps it up for today's Totally Football show. We'll be back on Monday uh, with the verdict on all the Premier League weekend action. Tuesday, of course, we'll then be back with all the big games from Europe. And there are some biggies. Friday, you've got Monaco taking on Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, eight o'clock on Saturday, there's Atletico Madrid-Barcelona. And then Sunday night, if you want a bit of Serie A action, Napoli-Milan. Uh, that would be one for you, Tariq. Napoli-Milan. Lovely to have you with us today. Duncan, thank you for joining us as well. And Natalie Jedra. A listener, thank you for your participation as well. Do hope you have a good weekend. And we'll speak to you on Monday. And now from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.